As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. And welcome to Pod on the Tyne, your go-to Newcastle United podcast, brought to you by The Athletic. My name's Taylor Bain, and on this week's show... Misfiring Aston Villa were ultimately untroubled by Bruce's boys, despite a decent start. We have a very exciting guest interview uh, with writer Michael Chaplin here to talk about his new book, Newcastle United Stole My Heart. And in just the second week of finding reasons to be cheerful, we're already struggling big time, George, aren't we? Oh, what a nightmare. I've got nothing. I've got nothing. I've got, I've got, I've got 40 minutes to try and think of something. Think of something quick. Anyway, like I said, I am Taylor Bale and this is Pod on the Tyne. We're not definitive anymore, but that's okay. One thing we are this week, though, is we are waffle-free, aren't we, George? Uh, there's no Chris on today's show, uh, so we are really blessed to be speaking to Michael Chaplin later on. That'll be fantastic, so make sure you stick around for that. In the meantime, it's a slightly beleaguered hello to George. How are we there, mate? How's the legs? All right, thank you. Yes, I, um, I did a half marathon in London yesterday, the big half. Wow. That was quite exciting to be out and about with 12,000 other people, but um, also, also my slowest half marathon for, for a very long time. But yeah, great great to be doing that kind of thing again. Fantastic, man. That's great stuff. Um, also, I think we have to say before we go any further, uh, uh, a word about Terry McDermott as well, who the sad news this week that he's... Uh, He's been diagnosed with dementia and obviously we send our best wishes to him, everyone from The Athletic, all the guys on the podcast and Newcastle fans everywhere. An amazing servant of the club uh, to Newcastle and to Liverpool as well and a, and a wonderful all-round human being. So good luck with that, Terry, and uh, everyone's with you. Here, here, yeah. Yeah, obviously mainly synonymous with Liverpool for his playing career where he won titles galore and, uh, and three European Cups as well. But... Had two spells as a player with Newcastle, got to the FA Cup final in 74, where they lost to Liverpool, of course, but really probably 
most remembered now for that relationship he had with Kevin Keegan yeah. as uh, as his assistant manager and um, buffer, as he referred to himself. But um, yeah, we wish him all the best. A terrific fellow, very funny, very knowledgeable, great player, yeah. and uh, yeah, all round all round good guy. So thinking thinking about Terry. Absolutely thinking about Terry McDermott at the moment. Uh, and like we said, Chris is taking a break, um, but he's definitely earned it recently. He's been a busy boy, hasn't he? Uh, he had a, 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 an article there on the anatomy of the Joe Willock transfer uh, and also a profile on Sean Langstaff as well and also a bit of a post-mortem on that Aston Villa game of which we shall talk more in a little bit. Um, also, there was a fantastic article by Alan Shearer in collaboration with Michael Cox, uh, all about Premier League front threes and how they work, George. Did you catch any of that? It was great. Read. Yes, I did. It was it was very tactical. Therefore, I had no involvement with it. That was um, <laughs> uh, that seemed like the wise course of action. And Michael Cox obviously is brilliant at that. No, it was, yes. it was very it was very interesting. And um, Chris's piece, uh, sort of post Villa, I'd, uh, I'd urge everyone to have a look at that. Really, sort of talking about. I mean, it seems strange to be talking about Steve Bruce and having a honeymoon period, but mm-hmm. there has been a kind of you know each 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 season sort of forms a bit of a reset. There was the the uptick at the end of last season, and then of course he did his um, he did his BBC Radio Newcastle uh, Q and A last week. He did, which he sort of came through unscathed. I thought, <laughs> mm. uh, but um, you know, two defeats down, and we're already talking about. About sort of a different different situation, aren't we? So Chris's piece was kind of about that, really. And um, I've not been completely inactive. I've I've also helped Alan with a column that he's done, uh, which which will be available to read uh, now on Jurgen Klopp and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer complaining uh, this last weekend about the sort of physicality of their respective mm. games against Burnley. Um, and Southampton, which I mean, that's got, what you're going to get when you go to Burnley, isn't it? <laughs> you should expect well, that. It's, it's, <laughs> you know, there has been there has been a sense that the game has been freer flowing this season. Uh, you know, this season so far, albeit it's very early days, and we did we did want that, and we asked for a lighter touch from referees yeah. after the Euros, didn't we? And we've definitely seen that. And Alan's, Alan's sort of contention is that, A, that this is a load of nonsense. I mean, effectively, that that the two managers are talking about. He is he does kind of come to the defence of Burnley, who, by the way, are, are the team in the Premier League that have gone the longest without a red card. And are, wow, I, think, yeah. okay. I, think have, I think have broken... The Premier League record, but you know, also saying this is management. This, you know, this is the pantomime of the touchline. This is managers trying to get an edge with referees for their yeah. their games moving forward. So anyway, so um, that was fun. That was fun doing that. Well, there you go. If you want to read all of George and Chris's work on the Athletic, uh, get yourself on there now to celebrate the start of the new Premier League season. The Athletic are offering thirty-three percent discount on subscriptions. Uh, that's a third off the regular price, so you can get full access to the same great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all of their podcasts, including this very one you are listening to now. Uh, get yourself to theathletic.com/newcastlepod and take advantage of that special offer. That's theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. Time for a little sting. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So, George. What? Two games, two defeats. What do you want? Points. What do you want? Oh, what, do want? what do you want? Mate. Mate, you know exactly what I want. We're back to where we were. This is, you know, come on. Right. Newcastle United is providing exactly what we think they will provide. <sighs> two games, two defeats. Goals conceded. Things not going our way. Players injured. What What the hell? Come on. What's happening? Well, you've just expressed it all very succinctly. Let's move on. Let's move on <laughs> okay, to the next good. defeat. Let's yeah, move on to the next excellent. Defeat. Yeah. Well, it's not... Um, it's not going brilliantly, is it, so far? Um, you know, certainly West Ham, I think there was there was room or there was scope for some encouragement, particularly with the way Newcastle started the game. I know that there was that very early chance that fell to Callum Wilson, who didn't take oh, it at, at Villa. Still don't yeah. know how that hasn't gone in. No, no. And I guess you can make the argument that if that had gone in, it might have been a different, uh, it might mm. have been a different outcome. But... By the end, we're talking about another ragged performance and we're talking about Newcastle not only having one shot on target, I think, and that was right towards the end. And um, as many questions as there are answers. No, more questions than there are answers. <laughs> Absolutely, and yeah. the formation which worked so well at the end of the last season just looks wrong at the moment. It looks lopsided, it looks unbalanced. Totally. We are seeing a team um, whose fitness seems to fall away quite dramatically. And yeah, although Joe Willock came into the team, and that's obviously kind of good news, he did look a long way off it after a summer, yeah. of, not, after a summer of not much football. So yeah, we're left in. Um, we're, we're right at the start of the season. We're already teetering on some sort of precipice, aren't we? On the brink <laughs> of something. Absolutely. I mean, we're always on the brink of something, aren't we? Let's be honest. But I mean, it was it, in parallels to that to that West Ham game as well. It was a fairly positive start, wasn't it? That first thirty minutes, you kind of think we haven't done an awful lot wrong. Um, but then, you know, the, the game starts to get away from us. The, there's a couple of incidents, the penalties and the non-red card. Uh, and, you know, I, I've read a lot of Newcastle fans complaining about the decisions going against us. But really, did we deserve anything else out of that game apart yeah. from the defeat? I mean, I think that's, I think it's a fair point. I mean, I, I, I get, I'm so sort of unimpressed with that sort of line of argument. I mean, I think it's very fair to say that Newcastle have not had the rub in the first two games. I think that's fair. I think that's fair enough. Mm. But if if the argument is that Newcastle deserved anything else, I mean, I think I think you're right. I, no, they didn't. And the point is that at various stages under Steve Bruce's Bruce's time in charge, Newcastle have had the rub. I mean, really have had the rub of the green. <laughs> yes. And um, so no, um, I think I think they were unfortunate. You know the the the. the the sort of the VAR offside, you know, you're looking at that, and that's that's the kind of thing that isn't supposed to be happening this season. I think, yeah, I think that's I think that's fair enough. But it's a red card as well, isn't it? Let's be honest. Well, it's, it's an awful, awful. It's, an it's awful a terrible tackle. tackle. Put me in mind of um, Harold Schumacher on Patrick Batterson in that that World Cup, that infamous incident where he came out and clattered him. One for the teenagers there. Um, Absolutely. And, 
yeah, it's and I, I do think that's reasonable. I do think it's reasonable. However, I just can't get excited about stuff like that anymore. Maybe that's because I'm old, but um, you know, I look, I try and look at the bigger picture. And Newcastle didn't deserve to get anything else out of that game. They didn't. Yeah, they didn't do enough to, to win. Um, and I've also, by the way, just while we're touching on that subject, there's also been so I've seen some stuff, you know, particularly on social media, but sort of suggesting that Newcastle are falling victim to uh, the biggest conspiracy theory in oh, the uh, history God. of the Premier League, which is that um, because uh, because Mike Ashley is uh, is uh, engaged in um, sort of legal dispute with the Premier League, that somehow the team are are being punished by referees. I just I kind of love that that notion of that conversation. Um, Richard Masters <laughs> ringing up whoever's refereeing Newcastle weekend. Yeah, it's just yeah, if there's a tight one against Newcastle, yeah, you just, you just I mean, just you know, can you just? Uh, so I think we have to be a little bit um, more. Uh, uh, reasonable than that because that's just swivel-headed nonsense. It's nonsense, swivel but it's bullshit, nonsense. George, isn't it? Let's it is honest. bullshit. It's, it's absolute bullshit. bullshit. <laughs> the highest order. Newcastle don't need conspiracy theories to be rubbish. Come on, <laughs> we can. <laughs> we're as good as anyone at being yeah. the, the architect of our own downfall, aren't we? Absolutely. I mean, two games, zero points. We're conceding goals. The defense looks leaky. Uh, are we at a point where it's? You start to panic. The is the panic. Is it time to panic yet? I mean, it's a long season ahead of us. It's only two games. It could turn around, but the the warning signs are there, aren't there? That there is problems. Well, I was born shitting myself, which is a joke that works on two levels. <laughs> if it works at all, which possibly, which possibly it doesn't. Poor but, midwife. But but. <laughs> Yes, I mean, you know, we do. I do this every season. I look at, I look at the, I look at the fixtures, and it's like, well, we'll lose that one. We'll lose that one. We'll lose that one. I say this every season. Yeah, I've said this on the pod for two seasons. But we'll lose that one. We'll lose that one. Then we're in crisis. Then we'll lose that one. And um, I mean, I'm not panicking, but it does. This does feel like a big, a big little week, is how I would describe it. Because um, yeah, albeit when we're out, you know, we're obviously not. We're recording before the Burnley the Burnley Cup game but that's you know that's an opportunity for Newcastle uh, to get a win on uh, win on the board and then but also George also sorry to jump in it is not necessarily the game you want is it right now no 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 they're a very good team then yeah, he but um, Sean Dyche will make eleven changes because he always does for the for the cups. And yeah. Newcastle, you know, Newcastle haven't beaten a Premier League team in a cup, I don't think, for for quite a few years. Um, but anyway, then Southampton come to town. They've just got a decent result against Manchester United, and it you know yeah. it feels like a feels like a sort of as I say a big a big kind of pathetic week or a pathetic big week. I don't know. Um, and which obviously also coincides with the end of the transfer window, although it doesn't sound like very much, if anything, is going to happen. It doesn't. And I mean, there's been distractions uh, with the Willock transfer and stuff like that, but there's not an awful lot of anti-Steve Bruce sentiment at the minute coming from the stands, but how much longer is he going to go without getting more hassle from the fans and more slack? Because, we, you know, it, it doesn't take much for us to turn on a manager, does it? And, and another couple of defeats this week, if we go out of a cup and we lose to Southampton, he could start seeing some animosity, couldn't he? Yeah, I always think it's quite difficult to predict. I mean, I think it's that thing where you you look at a game and think, oh, if this one if this one goes the wrong way, it'll be toxic. And very often it's not that game because I think there's Newcastle fans almost react to that sense of, you know, expected to perform and then they and then they don't do it. But um, but no, I mean I've been in the stadium for some of those sort of 
horribly toxic games you know the the Pardew Cardiff game for you know for example oh god yeah, but, yeah. No, it doesn't sound like it doesn't sound like there's been sort of anything noticeable um, so far. You know, I do think that I think Newcastle have got the ability to get results, and I'm not necessarily saying there's anything um, sort of hugely uh, life affirming about that. But I think that when they have uh, when they have Wilson and when they have St Maxima in the team, mm. they can get a result. Yeah, it just feels to me like there isn't much beyond that as a as a kind of tactic at the moment. It feels like the team is set up. Yes, okay, Wilson. You know, Wilson will get on the end of things. That's the kind of uh, player he is. But it feels like too much is being sort of left to some maximum to produce something. Yeah, Wilson to finish it off. Um, it feels a bit slack apart from that to me. Yeah, but I don't know what you think. I know we've had this conversation in recent weeks anyway, and I had it with Chris and we had it last week, but the the formation, they've said it's it's what they want to play, the system they want to play. It's not going to change anytime soon, but I'm just not convinced that we are playing players to their strengths and playing them in their best positions. And I worry that, you know, players start getting pissed off after a while if they're not being allowed to do the things that they're good at. And how long does Miguel Almiron want to be going to want to be running around tracking back and you know I know he does it anyway because he grafts himself into the grass every single game but he, he's an attacking player you want him going the other way and causing defences problems and putting fullbacks on their back foot and stuff like that and 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 you know playing him as a number eight just to me just seems like a waste it just seems like a waste of time and a waste of talent yeah and I think that's fair again it worked at the end of last season so you understand why um, it's being persevered with and I suppose you can look back to West Ham and sort of you know there's a lot of criticism of Matt Ritchie uh you know sort of positionally and for his defensive work mm. you know a bit of the same with Jacob Murphy now Ritchie came into the team last season uh, you know after that big fallout with Steve Bruce and did very well so I can understand the logic of sticking with it it just it feels except that that logic is adhered to too much at Newcastle, I think. I think we're at this thing where the, the, the management stumble upon a system that kind of works for a game or two, and then that's it. Yeah, You know, that's it. We're left with it until there's a bad defeat, and then something else comes along. Now, all the, all as I said last week, all the stuff that we've heard from within the dressing room is that, and Colin Wilson said this publicly, there is a commitment to 3-5-2. I would be very, very surprised if it's jettisoned, um, you know, kind of willy-nilly. But, um, you know, Newcastle have conceded six goals in two, in two league games. That's not good. That is not no, it's good. Not. And as you say, they're not getting the most out of um, Almiron. And when you then look around the pitch, there are players either out of position or not in their favoured position. And, there are, there are is, you know, there are issues all over the place. And we have to also remember that at the end of last season, um, you know, that's 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 the point where okay, Newcastle was still in trouble, but a lot of the teams that they were playing weren't, and um, you know, I, um, so, and you know, the other thing is is that if you play the same way with the same people, teams will come up with a way to a, to address that. Yeah. And Newcastle don't have any new players. You can be found out, yeah. You can be found out pretty quickly these days. I mean, you know, yeah. you, nobody misses anything, do they? Everything's analysed to the to the nth degree. Um, and we seem to have a lot of, you know, what you would call creative players on the pitch, but not a lot of creativity. 
which I think is quite a worry. You know, like you say, one shot on target against against uh, Aston Villa. And to me, when you've got players like Callum Wilson and Alan Maximum on the pitch, that's not enough. It, it needs to be better than that. Yeah, and so Max, you know, you're Dean Smith, and you're asking yourself where uh, Newcastle's danger going to come from. It's St Maxima, so you you focus on St Maxima, and that is what they did. Yeah, and they snuffed out that line. Now that you can sometimes do that, and it won't work because he's capable of doing something different or doing something special. But mm-hmm. again, that is a thing that other teams or most of the teams have strengthened in some way, shape, or form. Newcastle are going with the same personnel at the moment as they had last season. And too many of those players are either, you know, slightly discomforted by where they are on the pitch mm. or they're not fit enough as things stand, which isn't great. No, it's not. Well, let's hope things turn around soon. Otherwise, we could be out of a cup and another league game down without any points. And just before we move on, George, I know how much you are a fan of quizzes. Here's a little mini quiz for you. Who was the last Newcastle player to score at Villa Park? Who was the last Newcastle player to score at Villa Park? Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Eight years ago, Johan Gufran. My wow. word. There you wow. go. There's a stat for you. Okay. Anyway, with all of that in mind, we're going to have a little break and we're going to be back in a couple of minutes with Michael Chapman. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, we've got a bit of a treat for you now. A chance to get away from the horrible grind that is the current state of affairs at our beloved club. But beloved is the right word, and nobody knows that better than Michael Chaplin. Michael is a ridiculously talented man, and I'm not joking. Just listen to this. He's the creator of hit TV drama Monarch of the Glen, has written some of the best TV drama around and adapted numerous novels for the screen. He's also written almost 100 plays for theatre and radio, many for Newcastle's live theatre, and is a driving force for arts and culture in the Northeast. Before he became a writer full-time, he was also a successful TV producer and executive. Somehow, during all of that, he managed to maintain a passionate relationship with our football club. Now, a book he has written about the story of his life as a Geordie football tragic, Newcastle United Stole My Heart, 60 Years in Black and White, will be published by Hearst Books on the 29th of August. It really is a great honour to be able to welcome him to the show. Uh, Michael Chaplin, welcome to Pod on the Time. Thanks for joining us. It's a great pleasure and a privilege. I'm, I'm really excited to be here. Virtually, that is. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Not really in one place, but never mind. It's great. Thank you. Well, the pleasure is all ours. And thank you for, for taking some time out of your busy schedule to, uh, to come and speak to us about this unbelievable book that you've written. Um, it's, it's an incredible piece of work. Do you want to tell us a little bit about it before we start getting into it and we'll, and we'll take it from there? Yeah, well, it, it's, it's been two years in the making. And the chronology is basically that myself and my friend, the theatre director, Max Roberts, we've been sitting together at St. James's Park for many years. 
And at the end of the 2018-19 season, we decided uh, for probably reasons familiar to many, not to renew our season tickets. And this was obviously a big, big step. And uh, certainly for me, it was the end of a sort of continuous uh, period of going to matches, supporting the club over 60 years. So I I decided that I wanted to write something about that. And I I kind of cast my mind back to uh, what I remembered was my very first game, which was on May the 1st. 1963 it was a home match against Stoke City and it got off to the worst possible starts because we we were two nil down after 18 minutes good old Newcastle um, we've all been there haven't we many times <laughs> yes um but uh, amazingly we uh, we we ended up winning that match by five goals to two so I, I sort of began the excavation through time by looking at that match trawling my memories of it uh, of being in the crowd as well as the action on the pitch and, and there was one player who particularly stood out for me in that match, and his name was Alan Suddick. Um, he was a local boy from a coal mining background in County Durham. Um, and um, he was brilliant that night. He was, he was a bewitching, bedazzling player, quick of mind and eye. Um, and he, he, he did score a goal that evening from all of two yards. <laughs> but he made so much more. He was he was all over the place, and um, uh, yeah. So it was a, a memorable match. Anyway, I I tracked down Alan Suddick's family, um, uh, and they were brilliant. So I I got to know them. I, they told me his story, and I, I wrote that chapter up. And at the end of it, I thought, well, I just feel like carrying on from here. So I did, and and subsequently picked out ten other matches over the period of. Uh, 1963 to 2018, 2019, in fact, and and I ad- adopted a similar process of examining the match, its context, the manager, the players, um, and at the end of every chapter, I kind of nominate my player of that match, so that you have, as the book finishes, you have a, a kind of team of 11 players, although in my case, they're nearly all forwards rather than any <laughs> defenders. There are one or two defenders. Yeah. But, um, so, um, so yeah, that's that's how it came about. Give, and you, as you say, you've sort of chosen you've chosen a match per chapter, but you've also sort of chosen a player, really, haven't you? You've centered it around yeah. a player. So, tell us yeah. about some of the conversations you've had, and tell us about some of the people you've spoken to. Well, um, well, obviously, uh, Alan Suddick's family were brilliant, and they gave me photos and all of that, and uh, really gave me an insight into their husband and dad. Um, but the next game was the first game in the Fairs Cup run, the 4-0 win over Feyenoord. And the damage for me, again, in front of me on the popular side, was done by a local lad called Jeff Allen. Uh, he, he was only 24. And I tracked Jeff down and I drove down to Nottinghamshire and we met in a pub one day and drank tea and had biscuits. And he, he told me about his life. So that's the second one. Third one uh, was with Malcolm McDonald about his goals in the semi-cup final against Burnley in 74. And, you know, we, we, we're all familiar with how brilliant a player Malcolm was. He's also a very powerful communicator. And actually, that was the last live interview I did. You know, the pandemic sort of came in shortly after I met Malcolm. So all the other conversations were on Zoom or on the telephone, which I, I would have preferred to be otherwise, obviously. But in the end... They were all great. Um, so I talked to Chris Waddle, 
um, to Anderson, to modern players like Perez, Kenny Wharton, Steve mm. Harper, Steve Howie, uh, Lee Clark. Many of these players, as you'll notice, are sort of local players. Yeah. But I kind of, like many fans, I kind of invested emotionally in these players because they were, as it were, acting as proxy for, for my own fantasies uh, <laughs> as a schoolboy and then yeah. a, a sort of adult as, as a player. And they're all really sort of signed up for this. They sort of got the idea of it. And I think one of the other things that I was trying to do was not just talk about their football lives, but also how they got into football in the first place, talk about their families, their mums and dads, uh, the ups and downs of their careers, and then subsequently what has happened post the, the, the playing career. Um, and, and um, you know, I can't thank them all enough, really. They, they, uh, most of them didn't know me from Adam, but they, they were just totally courteous. And as I say, really bought into the concept of the of the book. Uh, so I mean, yeah, I'm very very happy to have talked to them. It's a really great experience. The book itself, I love the I love the structure of the book with the different games and and stuff like that. Michael actually handed me the book in some sort of clandestine operation outside of a outside of a chip shop in South Shields uh, oh, last on, it week. It was Coleman, not Coleman, not exactly <laughs> oh, no, a chip shop. That's chip shop royalty if it's Coleman's. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Come yeah. on, now it's still a chip shop, but it was it was the most South Shields thing in the world. So <laughs> just sort of slipped <laughs> to me like that. It was like some sort of um, espionage operation. It was fantastic. Yeah, drug. drug uh, sort of handover or something it, was. it wasn't anything like that but <laughs> what i was going to say and i know you i know this gets said all the time and it's a little bit of a, a you know a little bit of a cliche but i only got the book on uh friday and i i haven't been able to put it down all weekend because i've been looking at it and i've been obviously i read the, the, there's a chapter that i'm involved in as well and i i, yes. I spoke to you about the, the chapter where you talk about philippe albert and I read through that straight away and I, I, it was wonderful to read and I got a little bit emotional reading it as well. But then part of me was like, right, I need to read all the rest of this now. I need to read the other chapters and I need to find out how you tell the stories of those other games. And, and, and it's drawn me in so much. And I haven't, like I say, I haven't been able to put it down since Friday. It's been fantastic to go through. Thank you. Thank you. Really, really enjoyed it. Well, if if we're embarrassing, Michael, I'll do. I'll do. I'll have my own little go as well. But, <laughs> I mean, he is. He is. He's. He's. He's writing royalty. You know, if you've watched the TV in uh, in the last 10, 15 years, or listened to the radio, then you've heard you've heard Michael's work. And Newcastle is not. It's not the first time you've written about Newcastle. You've written plays about Newcastle, of course, as well. I have. Yeah. Um, yeah. But knockabout comedies, George. Knockabout abs- comedies. Absolutely. And um, <laughs> we are a knockabout comedy football club. There is. There is. There is. There's nobody better to, um, to 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 sort of write about the club and do it with such obvious sort of love as well as as well as yeah. brilliant writing. I suppose my I have a slightly esoteric question because the title of the book is. Newcastle United stole my heart. Have they broken your heart as well? And how do you feel about the club? How do you feel about the club now? Because really, this is a sad story. You've you've yeah. you've walked it like as you say, like lots of other people yeah. have kind of turned your back a bit on Mike Ashley's Newcastle. So I've already asked the question, so I'll let you answer that. Yeah. But but are you reconciled to this version of Newcastle? And um, did did writing the book? change your relationship with the club in a, in a different way did it sort of refresh it in some ways yes uh, I'll, I'll come to that question but um i mean obviously there's not much that a fan can do about a malfunctioning football club that isn't being run in the way 
that that fan believes is right. Um, and the only sort of positive step in a way is a negative one, which is to walk away and remove, remove your uh, funding for the, for the seat that you occupied. And, and um, I think we all know that some thousands of people have chosen to do that. Many haven't, some have returned. And I, I quite, I, you know, absolutely respect people doing whatever they, they wish to do and that they think is right for them. And, and it's not an easy thing after 50 or 60 years to suddenly decide you're going to do something else with your Saturday afternoon. Um, uh, um, but it, it seemed to me that it was the only step that in the end made any kind of sense after enduring it for whatever it is, 14 years. Um, and I suppose it, it, it was made most acute by, uh, you know, the fact that we had a brilliant manager. I think the vast majority of fans would agree with that. And when it became clear that he wasn't going to be hanging around, which I perfectly understood, that was the kind of straw in a way that broke the camel's back as far as I was concerned and Max was concerned. But if things were to change, you know, there's no question I, I'd, I'd be back in an instant. Because, you know, I suppose all of us have, have become used to friends and colleagues uh, in other parts of the country having a sort of bit of a joke uh, at our expense about supporting Newcastle United. And, and I suppose in some ways you could say that it's inevitable for a fan of my sort of length of service, as it were, uh, it, for it to be regarded as a sort of defeat somehow, a kind mm -hmm. of tremendously sad thing. And, and actually it isn't, partly because I did something about it, for better or worse. Uh, and the other thing, I don't know if, if this is an appropriate point, just to read this little piece. Um, and it, it's, it's in line with your reasons to be cheerful, but, but I think, um, do you mind if I, no, I read please, this? Go, no, okay? go for it, absolutely. Okay. Well, this is on the last page, so it's a kind of, obviously, summary. Oh, well, hang on. If you read if you read this bit out, nobody will need to buy the book. If you read the end out. <laughs> <laughs> no spoilers. Come on. <laughs> no, go on. Go on. So when people ask if I'll ever return to St. James's Park, the answer is this. If this zombie club eventually finds an owner who terminates its apparently endless living death, who truly respects it, the city, its players and supporters, the answer is simply yes in an instant. Here through my long life, around this tarnished field of dreams, I may have seen only one real trophy, but found many other things. Joy, sorrow and occasional rage, skill, spirit and occasional genius, pathos and indeed bathos, drama to make a playwright weep with envy, wit and good cheer, friendliness and friendship, and most of all, that precious but elusive sense of belonging. But when it comes down to it, despite being born 25 miles south of here, living most of my life in other places, at heart and in my heart, I'm a Newcastle man and a Newcastle fan. So I suppose what, it, what that is, is an affirmation of my attachment, my love, not just for the club, but for the city, um, which is dominated uh, by by the stadium, um, and on all of that is a tremendously has been a tremendously positive thing about my period of supporting the club. And you know, uh, the very last game was an absolutely transcendent game in the 2018-19 season, the win against Everton. Um, and you know, despite the fact that I, you know, we had already committed, we went out of the stadium that day, you know, just 
singing inside and outside uh, what we'd what we'd seen not just you know Perez the brilliance of Perez and the spirit of the team but the atmosphere in the stadium um, and and I suppose the at the end of the day we 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 I don't think it's unreasonable for us as fans to not to expect more of that um, so I suppose you could say you know walking away is not a, a sort of final declaration of you know I'm, I'm never going near it again it's it's just a stage in a journey um and, and i i do believe that eventually he will go and then we can start living again <laughs> in a football sense um because i don't think he wants to be around anymore um no um so uh, anyway that's that's the way that beautiful i, I view that beautiful thing. And I mean, I think, you know, the point is your book is it's a, it's a memoir as much as anything else, isn't yeah. it? It's telling yeah. the story of your family and your life. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, but, sort of, and that, but I suppose it does, it does just show sort of how football and particularly football in our region can kind of, you know, those tendrils yeah. just kind of stretch into every part yeah. of life. Yeah. I, it, was, it was kind of part of the original concept. I mean, it would have been a quite easy thing, an obvious thing in a way, just to tell the story of football. But you know, we all have other lives, don't we? Yeah, yeah. And and all those aspects of our lives sort of knit together uh, in a tremendously sort of positive and uh, sustaining kind of way. Um, and so, yeah. So that that's why I chose to go in that that direction. I hope the book is kind of richer for it. Uh, anyway, people will tell me what they think. So. Well, some of the reviews, some of the reviews have been fantastic so far, and one of the ones that jumped out to me on the back of the book as I was looking through the back cover was from Sting, uh, which and he said a remarkable evocation of place, of time, and obsession with a football club, an enchanting read, um, and I, th- I think that's great. That's fantastic. How 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 the hell has Sting read it? That's amazing. Well, um, he he and I are sort of. For the last couple of years, we've been sort of working together on a few right. projects. Um, uh, I did a, a radio a play for Radio Four last year um, that was kind of structured around a song of his from the album Fifty Ninth and Seventh. It's called "Going South on the Great North Road," which is a song really about you know how, like many people from the northeast, you know he got on a train or got in a, a van and drove to London to make his way in the world and. And, and actually, I did more or less the same thing in a very different sphere of life at more or less the same time. Um, it's, it's a kind of archetypal story. It's actually about a female lorry driver um, going backwards and forwards between the two cities. Um, so, so that's one thing. And, and we're now working on another project. But, uh, you know, I've known him for a few years and uh, he's, he's, um, he's a big fan. Um, I do remember... <laughs> I once caught sight of him much of the day, him and Jimmy Nail sitting together uh, in the posh seats uh, during, during a, I think it was a 3-1 home defeat, and uh, they looked like I felt. Um, there's, a, there's a really weird parallel with this, because I was actually at that game, and I was in the posh seats as well that afternoon. And I was What were you there, doing there, then? Well, I was there because <laughs> I snuck in, I snuck under the fence. No, I was, um, I was there, it was when I was part of the fans' forum. And, oh, right. and me and my, me and my mate were sat in... Uh, sat in the stand and I looked down and my mate said, is that so-and-so from the pub, from the, a guy who he thought it was a guy who drank in South Shields? And we looked down and the guy turned around and looked at us and it was Jimmy Neal. <laughs> right. And, and we went, 
oh, it's not, it's Jimmy Neal. And then Sting <laughs> turned around and looked at us and went, Jesus, it's Sting as well. <laughs> so it was, yeah, it, that well, was that very game as well. Yeah, yeah. It was well, fantastic. They, yeah, they, they worked together on um, on a couple of things too. So they're they're old pals. And um, Good stuff. Yeah. Publishers now sort of ask writers to go out and seek, you know, people eminent in whatever the field the book is in and, and beg them to read the book for nothing very quickly and then offer up some, you know, brilliant summary of it. Um, and this is acutely embarrassing. Um, well, it's not acutely embarrassing if, you, if you're good enough friends with them or, or you just respect them. Anyway, I, I, I did that with a few people and, and they were all very kind, including Sting. I mean, Michael has, has, has kind of written loads about the region, but kind of wrote a beautiful play, Tyne, which sort of captured the, the essence of the region sort of through the rhythm of the river. And of course, that was based on your book, Tyne mm. View, which was you sort of walking, walking from the source of the Tyne, wasn't it? To, um, yes. And yeah. so I would just, I mean, I would, he's again, accepting that I'll embarrass Michael, but he's, he's someone who's, who's, who's brilliant at sort of, capturing your feelings without you realizing they're your feelings until he says it and you then sort of take a step back and say yes that's that's how I feel thank you for thank you for expressing it and this book <laughs> is you. this book is this book is the same it's it is magical and it is um it's beautiful and so you know if you're looking um a for a nice present for somebody or for something you'd like to read for yourself I would I'd urge anybody to buy it but I would you know for the simple reason also that if you're not getting what you would like from the team and the club, you know, in itself at the moment, you can, you can still find that club within your heart. And that is the point of, you know, that is the point of the book that that's where it, that's where it is. George, that's, that's so kind of you. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, you know, it was, it was really, really hard work. Um, it's a hundred thousand words. <laughs> it's, it's 11 different stories involving different people, but I really was fired to write this thing and to finish it because I thought it was it's, it's a kind of important story to me and to many other people so uh, what's the saying I, I, I tried very hard not to leave anything in the dressing right where can we get it from where can people get it from? well it's published by Hearst Books it's publication day is this Thursday the 29th all good bookshops etc and there will be various events there's there's an event at Blackwell's in Newcastle coming up on the 8th of September. It's a public event, and but there will be others. And um, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll be, in the words of Dennis Healy about the politician uh, chancellor uh, under Thatcher Howe, I'll be going around the region stirring up apathy. Uh, <laughs> hopefully Beautiful. not. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, Michael, thank you for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. Um, the book is is wonderful um, and, and it is essential for all Newcastle fans. If you're a Newcastle fan, you should be looking to get this on your bookshelf. It's brilliant. Thank you again for coming on. It's It's been wonderful speaking to you. We've really enjoyed it. And you're going to stick about for the reasons to be cheerful, yeah. I believe, as well. Yeah, wonderful I'll have to stuff. think of something else to say about that now. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, I will. And But thanks very much for the opportunity to come on and talk to you all uh, and, and, and the listeners. It's great. No problem at all. We're going to be back in just a second. Hey. 
So just before we finish up, uh, we're going to give our reasons to be cheerful, our little Geordie mindfulness feature. Uh, we're trying to be more positive this season. We're trying to put a positive spin on things. Uh, and we have got reasons to be cheerful. Um, I mean, for me, listening to Michael there uh, uh, and reading through the book as well, uh, my reason to be cheerful is it doesn't matter how turgid uh, the football can be sometimes with Newcastle United, they will always find a way uh, eventually to remind you why you fell in love with this great football club in the first place. And I think reading through Michael's book, it gives you that feeling all of the way through it. So uh, that is my reason to be cheerful. Eventually, Newcastle will give you something uh, to grab onto. George, how about you? Yeah, well, Michael has has saved this feature. He's allowed us to <laughs> roll it has. over to a record-breaking second week. Um, <laughs> because without without Michael, I would have had absolutely nothing. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> but hearing Michael read that, that passage, it is that great reminder. And we do have to tell ourselves this sometimes, that however heated we get about Mike Ashley and Steve Bruce and the players and uh, everything else, that the club isn't that. The club is you. The club is me. It's our families. It's our friends. It's the people who've been there before us. It's the people who will go there after us. And it will continue. And, um, yeah, it's it's worth remembering that at some point all of us fell in love. You know, the, the story that Michael tells, all of us fell in love. There's nothing more powerful or important than love. And that is still there. It might be buried at the moment, but it's still there. So thank you, Michael. Absolutely. And Michael, would you like to close things off for us? Well, yeah, there's one thing that occurs to me, which is that uh, the first person that I actually talked football with was was my grandfather, who, who came to live with us when I was about eight or nine. And um, he came to us because his wife had passed away. Andrew was um, an ex-miner. He'd lost his left arm in the pit. Um, he was mad about sport. Um, he was mad about football. We used to sit around the kitchen table and we'd talk about football. And we, in particular, would talk about the footballers that he knew. Uh, and he, he, he talked about two players at Sunderland and Middlesbrough that he'd seen a bit. I mean, as a minor in the 30s and 40s, he didn't have a lot of money for going to football matches. But he, but he, he spoke about a player called Wilf Mannion and another player called Rach Carter, who mm. were ball playing, you know, geniuses, really. And he, he had a, a term for them. He called them Bobby Dazzlers, which um, I suppose is a, a person of great skill, but shown with a particular style. And um, I suppose that's why I've, I've always been drawn to players of that kind at Newcastle, you know, from Alan Suddick onwards, Beardsley, Ben Arthur, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and I think we do have a, a genuine Bobby Dazzler in the team at the moment. Mm. Um, in Sam Maximin, and, and every game he plays, he does something that transcends the rest of what you're watching. So I think, you know, there are one or two really, really good players in, in our team, um, a misfiring team. Um, but I, I always love just keeping my eyes on him to see what he's going to do next. So he's my reason to be cheerful. Bobby Dazzler. Fantastic. Love it. Love it. Absolute Bobby Dazzler. Okay, well, there you go. That's us uh, for another week. Thanks once again to Michael for dropping by. Uh, and make sure you buy this book. It is absolutely superb. Uh, available on Hearst Books. 
Uh, and we will be popping some uh, information on Twitter and, and, and various other places to make sure that we spread the word as much as we can. Uh, thanks also to George as well. And thank you again to all of you listening. Just before we finish, I have to say well done to my little boy, Jackson, who played his first game for Gerald Falcons under 11s uh, last week and scored two goals and assisted two. Come so, on. Uh, ah, special moment. Giant Come smile on. on his face, uh, absolutely beaming until he said, Five or a goal, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so He's going go. far. <laughs> he will be, yes. So well done, kid. Well done. Absolutely amazing. Anyway. There we go. Don't forget, uh, The Athletic are offering a 33% discount to celebrate the start of the new Premier League season. And the sign-up address for that is theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. We'll be mob-handed again next week with the return of Chris Woff. And hopefully, we'll have at least one win to report. Until then, fingers crossed. Take care of yourselves. Cheerio. Athletic.